Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Today's episode marks the 100th episode of the European VC. So we've shifted things up and turned the tables on your usual hosts. This time, David and Andreas are the interviewees, lifting the covers on the vision behind the European VC and how the incurably optimistic former Danish bodybuilder and overthinking Portuguese VC protege ended up betting everything and tying themselves and their family's fortunes together by the hip. To interview them, there's nobody better than Tom, Affinity's European Regional Director and one of EUVC's long-standing supporters and friends. Besides that, Tom is a data and technology leader with 18 years of experience in the European venture capital and private equity industry. We cannot wait to bring you this story and hope you'll enjoy hearing a bit more about your usual hosts. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. David Andreas, welcome to the 100th episode of the European VC. But this time as guests, can't believe it. Is that is 100 right? That can't be right. That can't be right. It's exciting. It's crazy. It's wild. So like, guys, as I just said, this is the 100th episode of the European VC. This is a bit of a different episode where you got me as your host today and we're going to flip the tables on our lovely hosts and talk about the European VC. We're going to talk about the origins and talk about exactly what you guys are trying to build here. Firstly, thank you so much for being the host today. It's kind of weird being on the other side, like kind of... <laughs> Feeling out of control. I'm a control freak, so it's kind of hard. You have no control <laughs> today, guys. I have no control. We're going to be grilled by Tom live. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I can't help but ask you to do one thing first, which is you're our host today. There's a strong reason for that. Let's start this off by just saying who's our host today? Who is Tom? I think that would be great for our listeners as well to know. Cool. So yeah, I'm Tom. I uh, lead the European business out of Fairy. Fairy and the EUVC podcasts go way back, but we're um, incredibly good friends with the team there. We have the exact same purpose, which is to support the European venture capital community and ecosystem. So it's natural that we spend a lot of time together and we're going to continue to do more and more. So, so I feel incredibly lucky to share today with you guys. But yeah. And we should say that we're super thankful for that support. Super cool to work with Affinity. You know, people that follow us more closely have seen that we've had some LinkedIn Live, some events, some stuff going on in the pod, and that will only continue and increase. And it's going to be really cool. And teaser alert, you can expect crazy ideas and half of them are ideation phase. Half of them are being prepared. Stuff as European trips, wine cellar events, secret location stuff, top performing GPs, discussions, Q&As, interviews, whatever. All in all, there's just one criteria that we're focused on the European VC scene and creating content and knowledge that you can't really get 
elsewhere. So that's kind of what we love doing with, with Affinity. And that's also why, Tom, we've invited you to be our, our host today. Back to our host. Thanks, guys. That's And that, look, that's why we love you guys. You know, we're super passionate about the whole community. We have like almost 500 funds in Europe that work with us every day. So it's a critical market for us. So we're super excited. But look, guys, let's get to the meat of today. Like you guys talk every single episode about origin stories and missions and passion and loves to all of your interviewees. I want to do the same for you guys today. So as this is a hundred episode, I'm shocked that you guys have gotten this far, <laughs> but it's amazing. <laughs> so, but listen, like I'm serious. Like, I really want to hear like warts and all. I want to hear the lessons you guys have learned along the way, what the challenges have been, put your like founder hats on today, guys, and turn it around. How did you guys get started? I want to talk about the beginnings. I want to talk about what the mission. Why are you guys doing this? Why are you crazy kids spending all of your time talking to the community? So I'd love to hear from you guys. Just tell me a little bit about the your superhero origin story. <laughs> I have to interrupt everything because Andres was about to start and just say, feels so good to have a, a host making us feel young again. <laughs> crazy kids. <laughs> So, Tom, to answer your question with the superhero origin story, I hope we will turn out to be superheroes. That would be super nice. I'd love that. <laughs> but I'd say that, you know, our origin story and our mission, they are very closely intertwined. So I think we can almost do two flies and one swap there. Because what got us together was basically, you know, how we got into venture capital, both of us. My story, personally, is that I've always gotten very, very involved in anything that I got my hands in. It starts all the way back to when I was 13 years old playing World of Warcraft. I woke up in the middle of the night realizing that, fuck, I won't make Field Marshal, I won't make Field Marshal. And then I went in and played another couple of hours. And and then in the end, I did not make Field Marshal. I, uh, I woke up the morning that the ranks were updated and I had failed to make it. And I was like, I've played so much, I cannot do this anymore. And then I realized that I got to stop this. And that was for my own sanity. But then I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? And somehow I ended up doing bodybuilding for some reason. I'm sure it's related to me always watching Sylvester Stallone and all Schwarzenegger with my dad when I was a kid. Um, You're not going to go into like, your boxing career? No, no, but uh, I will tell you that I did a lot of steroids. <laughs> no, I did it. I did a small, tiny bit of steroids, but I did enough to get quite strong and, and fuck up my back. But, you know, I'm all in when I do something. And that's also what got me into the venture space in the end, because that's what venture is all about. And then basically where I was finding myself was in the middle of a fund that was government-backed, and that government funding was then slashed to that program. So we then said, okay, what are we going to do? And then we went out and started raising a fund ourselves. And that got me into the whole fundraising space. And through that, I met David down in Madrid in 2018. But it's very much there that I realized how difficult it is to raise a fund. And it's one thing building a startup, and we need that, and it's awfully difficult. But the failure rate of people who start, embark on the fundraising journey is just incredibly high. And it's people who are typically very far in their careers and they're putting a lot on the table to do it and they still fail. So what I was seeing is if we want to get more money into the startups, we need to get more money into the venture capital scene because we had this huge disparity between the venture capitalists or, or aspiring venture capitalists and their ambition level and the sophistication they were at, and then the kind of pitches that you had to do to LPs that knew nothing about venture capital. So I saw that huge disparity that needed to be fixed somehow. 
And that's why I want to approach this and give it all I have, because I think that's how we solve the lag of innovation that we have in Europe, meaning it's not in the early stage. It's actually getting it to the market and getting it out of the universities. But David, feel free to pitch in and let us hear how you think about yeah, it. I don't have a fun field marshal story, right? <laughs> I, I never never played that field game. Field marshal and steroids. I'm not even sure what, what that means, right? <laughs> field marshal. Is that good, bad? I have no idea. <laughs> I feel like my way into venture is similar to many people because it's just pure luck or uh, maybe absence of luck. I'm not sure yet. But um grew up in a very kind of high achieving family, very scientific driven. I didn't want to be a scientist. I, I, you know, I get nervous with just, you know, doing only research. I really need that. And I don't say this in a negative or positive way. It's just, it isn't for me. And I was quite good at maths and, you know, kind of quantitative stuff. So I find myself going to university and not really knowing what to do. So my rule was always do whatever opens the most amount of doors in your future as possible. So I did industrial engineering with a minor in management. And then I specialized through a, an Erasmus program and like innovation so broad, like this can be anything, right? I can work in a factory or I can be a consultant or I can even be in VC like I am today. And I think it was just, you know, worked in startup plan, did business development there for a couple of years, worked in a startup that I, I loved the founder, didn't really work out, company still exists, didn't go that incredible growth path that most people hope for, but you know, the company still exists and, and it pays for salary, so that's nice. In the process, fell in love with the fundraising side. You know, we raised from family offices. I thought, wow, this is so cool. I love like engaging in these conversations. So I want to do this. And I was very, very lucky to have an amazing network back home uh, in Portugal, Lisbon, where I'm from. And I knew a lot of the kind of first wave of entrepreneurs here. And I just reached out to them and I said, listen, guys, I'd love to be a fundraiser for startups. Like, I don't know how. I have very little to no experience. Like, can I help you guys? I'll do it for free. <laughs> right. So I, I actually did it for free for some time. That was fun. And over time, you managed to uh, professionalize that and to monetize that. And to make a very, very long story short, I think where things really changed for me was when I was involved in a fundraise, of, a Series A fundraise, actually, for a biotech firm. And the seed stage investors, or the investors that were in that firm, they really liked my work and they reached out kind of. David, we should, we should talk. We're going to spin out and raise a fund. Would you like to be part of that story? So that's basically the long story of how David, by accident, ended up in venture. I won't repeat what Andreas said because I couldn't say it in a nicer way. <laughs> it's exactly that. We need more money. You know, I've worked with some amazing people, emerging managers, that have failed their fundraisers. And honestly, like... It hurts my heart <laughs> to know of that because they are amazing and they were planning to drive capital into areas like super needed. So yeah, that's basically like the, the core kind of underlying mission that we both share in a very deep level, I'd say. And just to add on that, because I think there is a bit of a funny story in that we met in 2018 in Madrid for what must have been three or four very, very hot days. Because <laughs> we, on the back of uh, basically that meeting, helped each other out with a couple of things over the next two years. Then we kind of rekindled our love over a summer call and said, well, maybe we should try and do some more stuff together. And then we decided, okay, what might that be? And we decided on launching the podcast and building that because we thought, worst case, we're going to have a lot of super cool conversations with a lot of super cool people and we'll be all the more richer for that. But then after having worked together for a month or two, we looked at each other in the eye and said, I've never had so much fun. <laughs> uh, this is great. And then I, you know, I went to my wife and I think she must have thought that I was absolutely crazy. But thinking back, I'm pretty sure that what she saw was also that 
neither have I been any happier than I am these days. And, and she kind of liked that over me bringing home a wage because I didn't do that for a year for the first year <laughs> with David building the European DC, probably even more than a year actually. But it just made so much sense for us to pursue this mission. And it all came out of that four-day trip in Madrid at IE Business School, actually. And then what's funny is that the first two years we built, practically, or one and a half year we built, we never met in person because it ended up being right in the middle of COVID. COVID years. <laughs> and also, we were both laser-focused on extending runway as much as possible because we knew <laughs> who the hell makes money on doing podcasts? No one. <laughs> so we had a few groups to benefit from everyone being locked down and listening to podcasts yeah, nonstop. Yeah, yeah. You guys jumped on that market. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't by design. <laughs> it really wasn't. We embarked on it uh, long before COVID. So that was just a, a fortunate thing. And then we also just ended up building something entirely remote which, you know, we would have been even though COVID wouldn't have happened. But at the time, we ended building in, in what's COVID times and, and remote when everyone else is also talking about how do we adapt to building remote? That will always be the natural modus operandi for the European VC because we are only people all scattered across Europe. So it's a bit funny thinking about not having met uh, David in person for four years at the time when uh, my family's personal finances were so closely intertwined with David's. <laughs> On that point, I'd love to dig into more around what you hope to achieve by running the podcast. But before I do that, one real quick question, guys. Like any good founder, I mean, this is the risk you guys were taking. Was there a moment of doubt during those first initial years where you were like, what the hell are we doing? Mm. You know, is it too big a risk? Or was it just all roses the whole way <laughs> It was so easy, all roses. Of course not. <laughs> no, but I, but I, I actually owe Andreas showing some love here because Andreas is the kind of, I, I have no words to describe it. He's always so optimistic. It kind of annoys you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, if you get me in the mood, I'll be optimistic. But, you know, I, I also, I, I might overthink things a bit. So I might, you know, bring that kind of negative cloud, you know. And so this happened, what, Andreas, yesterday, yeah. two days ago? Yeah. I call Andreas and I was like, you know, things are going well. You know, business is, is, is better than it's ever been. You know, the European VC is now finally in a working business model. So it's, it's actually self-sustainable. But the runway isn't as long as we'd like to. And I'm feeling insecure about A, B, and C. And so we have those conversations a lot between us, to be honest. And I think for me, part of the magic is that alignment of mission with Andreas and then that we have these very differing kind of profiles. You know, we complement each other in a very beautiful way. And if it weren't for that, I don't think either of us would have been able to build this, to be very honest. We've had, we've had times where we, we weren't sure if we would survive in the next two weeks. Yeah, for, <laughs> sure, for sure. I guess it's a lesson, guys, that we hear all the time from founders and funds that your partners and your co-founders are incredibly important, right? Yeah. That's, you can't do this alone. Maybe also what we always knew was we don't want to build a VC business, meaning we don't want to take venture capital and we don't want to take angels that invest in us because they want anything resembling a venture capital journey because that's not what we want to build. And that also means that, you know, we had different conversations, David and I, than we never had the conversation, who should we raise from, how you blah, 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 blah. Even though that would be the typical thing, because all day long we talk about raising capital, but it was never for ourselves. So, so that was a bit weird, especially looking at a runway that sometimes we're down to three months or something like that. And, you know, me saying to David, dude, we need to talk a bit because 
I need to just <laughs> vent because because my wife is breathing a bit in my back, or at least I know that that's where it's coming from. Even though she never ever said it, she never ever said, "Guys, you guys need to start making money." But of course, I knew that that was something that mattered. So never ever going to the extent where we say, "Okay, let's take in external capital and put on the the fumes." That's not what we wanted to. So that's been a bit different. Let's talk about that a little bit, guys. Let's dig into it a little bit more. So let's talk very specifically about the aims and the missions within what you guys are trying to achieve, both at the VC level, at the funding level, at the GP level, LP level. What are you guys trying to achieve in Europe? It's in a way beautiful because everyone talks about democratization all that now, and 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 that's well, maybe we're just a product of the times, but. In the beginning, we had an early iteration of our website that <laughs> that said connecting the European VC, and I do believe that that's actually what we're doing. It's one thing you know you can democratize in many different ways. I think democratization is most important to use as a word around getting retail investors and everyone access to the asset class. That's not what we're doing. While we are bringing down the minimum ticket with our syndicates to invest into venture funds, all the way down to a thousand euros, so practically anyone can partake, at least inside the industry, right? While we do do that, it's not with the aim of democratization as such and bringing one everyone into the asset class. That's not our game, and that would be a VC game because that's something that has an uncapped market potential, basically. But what we're saying is, well, we're connecting the European VC scene. The reason why we started the podcast was because. We were fucking fed up hearing a Brit interviewing U.S. investors. And I love Harry Steppings dearly because he is the ear that got me into venture capital when I got started. I had Harry in my ear all day long and I learned so much from him. And I owe him a, a billion for that because, you know, he was in many ways a big inspiration. And of course, still is because what he is building is amazing. But it was super frustrating to be part of the European VC scene but have no place to go to hear the European VC speaking. And that's why I felt that there was a room for the European VC. And that's what we're doing today because we're bringing the community together. In the beginning, it was just via a podcast where you can then hear one person talking. Now we're building community. Now we're building syndicates where anyone can partake in the success of a fund, but also in building that fund. Because when you invest with us in a syndicate, we bring everyone together so that if you want to do scout work with that fund and help them access deals in your area, you can do that with us. We facilitate that value add from the operate LP, as we call them, into the GP. And same thing about advice on your vertical or sector or geography. If you want to break into a new market or anything like that, that is something that we facilitate with our syndicate. So it's very much connecting the industry. And that is the mission we're on. And content is one side. Events is, is also on that side in our world. And then we've got, on the other hand, the community and the community investments that we're doing. No small task, right? Look, you guys have been doing this a long time now, and you've spoken, I mean, this is the 100th episode, right? So what have you seen as the status quo in Europe right now in this space? What, what's the structure look like? You know, what have you guys been able to infer from all of the conversations you've had about how everything really works? Such a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the basics of the status quo, and then we can dig into what the aspirational element is. But yeah. give an idiot's guide to European VC structure right now, and how you guys see it. Yeah, I think from my side, 
and I find, do find this extremely exciting and it is something that we're seeing written here and there. But when I started in venture, which wasn't that long ago, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a very, very young buck in this industry. I think the industry was far from where it is today. We have so many cool players in Europe. <laughs> and I'm not talking about foreign investors coming into Europe. No, I'm talking about European bread and European nationals, you know, VCs doing amazing stuff. And that is true in the hotspots like London, Berlin, you know, in the place where we're used to seeing this. But it's also happening in these like really unexpected places. Like, you know, we've seen it in startup land happening and now we're seeing it in VC land. And I think that is super exciting. And that is something that we kind of have been lucky to have had the opportunity to be speaking with these guys, you know, top of mind. And I'm not picking favorites here at all, but I can think, you know, we spoke with this super cool GP out of Greece, Venture Friends, and they did not tell me this so I can reshare it. I know they're an incredibly top performing fund and they're based out of Greece, right? And it's super interesting. Like this is what we call an underdeveloped ecosystem in Europe, Greece. And then we see that they're actually investing across Europe, you know, stuff like this we didn't have some years back. We're getting more and more, and I think that is extremely exciting. And that for me is like what I like to keep in mind, even with our syndicates and investing and so on, is yes, there's risk, it's risk capital, absolutely, but there are amazing people out there. And it's about finding the real good ones and the professional ones that are doing it right, and then just finding ways to put them on steroids using Andreas's metaphor. <laughs> I thought you would say supplier because he'd love that. <laughs> so if, if we just should should say a bit about where we are today as an yeah. as an industry and also on the democratization side and access to capital from LPs. I think that it's interesting that we're coming off of a period where we've never seen a bigger boom in tech in general. And now we're seeing things soften up a bit, but it's still at very, very high activity levels. And I think that there is very good reason to be very bullish about, especially the vintages coming up. And it's so interesting to see the GPs not losing faith and the GPs keep on raising and also new ones coming in. Because I think everyone realized that tech is going to be the next major thing or not the next major thing, but it's here to stay. And this speaks to the democratization angle we come from a very sorry state in our industry, I believe, in that we've had regulatory or we have regulatory rules in place that do so that it's if you're not very wealthy, you don't have access to the asset class. I think that is a thorn in anyone's eye that if you're not very wealthy, you cannot be part of financing the companies that will be dominating the S&P 500 for the years to come, but it's something that is reserved for the privileged few. And I would say the privileged few, both because if you want to do venture capital via funds, then it's 100K minimum, and typically the good funds are 250K or 500K minimums. If you want to do angel investing, well, then there's not a minimum, but who the hell has the competence to find a good investment and actually help them so you get a place inside the cap table? Almost no one, right? The majority of the angels have, truth be told, more fun than returns. <laughs> so for that reason, I think that it is about time that we make sure that we open up the asset class to everyone. And I applaud the mission of everyone who's working on opening up for retail investors uh, because it is highly needed on all levels, also in terms of VCs getting access to funding from them. 
David, let's dig in a little bit more on how you guys are actively doing this, both on the content front, like what are you guys creating? What's European VC working on right now? I know you guys have some live deals as well. So if we can dig in a little bit on both the content structure as it is yeah. now and maybe, maybe looking forward, like the media empire you guys are building, and then maybe a little bit more on the deal activity and, and how yeah. you guys are actually affecting change there as well. It'd be great to talk about that. Yeah. I'll use that and what Andreas said as the perfect way to kind of ease that message in, which is, you know, VC is a small industry <laughs> and, you know, we live inside of it. So we sometimes forget that, right? This is a completely side note. I'm just derailing everything straight away from the get-go. But it's interesting to hear very senior people in the VC industry struggling to talk with their loved ones and family about explaining this is what I do because people don't get it. And that shows how small our industry is, but also how information and knowledge about it is not yet at a point where I personally would like it to be, where everyone kind of understands the core basics of venture capital. And I think that informs a lot our media strategy, right? So the European VC is great because we have 4,000 GPs tuning in across Europe, listening, you know, we're basically tooting each other's horns, right? So the next iteration is how can we take that to people who are not yet inside of the bubble, right? How can we make this bubble either bigger or merge with other bubbles. And so what you'll see from our side, from a very practical standpoint on the content side is kind of vertically focused initiatives. So where we're then going from the venture approach into choose a vertical, right? Into the functional experts and technical experts in that vertical to bring them closer to venture. So that's one way. And another way is shifting more from venture if you perceive venture as an asset class, which is technically might not be 100% correct, but if you do, you think of the people who are inside of it, going outside of that asset class into other financial areas, right? And so you'll also see initiatives on our side going to talking to other type of players to kind of open up what is our industry for other players. And I think, you know, this is really strongly connected to the democratization of information and knowledge, and that guides all the content we'll make, right? That's from the media side. Andreas, maybe I'll let you take the community and syndicate side. Maybe. On the community side, what I always say is that there's been so many in VC trying to connect people across borders. What those Slack groups typically gravitate towards is Hi, I'm Joe channels. <laughs> and that's not really worth much uh, to anyone. And that's why we've had many iterations on how do we build this so that it's actually concrete and valuable for people to be part of them. And that's why we've ended up saying, well, let's build them around the syndicates. So what we do is when we invest into a fund, we take all the investors and then put them in designated channels where they have access to the GP, but also access to each other. And all of them have a vested interest in the fund's performance and also, of course, each other's value add and that whole ecosystem working. So what we're seeing is that the 50 people that chose to back Acrobat or in the syndicate that we're just finalizing right now, they are all motivated to help Acrobat and not just go and say, hi, I'm Joe, I've got this deal, try and check it out. I don't care what you guys are investing in and whether it makes sense, but I'll spit it out in your face anyway, <laughs> because I'm here for myself, right? That's not how our communities are going to work because people have a vested interest in helping each other out. And I kind of say that, that the magic of U.S. and the ecosystem that's been built in the U.S. was, of course, Sand Hill Road and the fact that everyone knew each other. I think that that's where we need to get to in Europe, but digitally, 
And mm -hmm. I think that that cannot be done in a channel where everyone just are and then just would magically find each other and, and hit each other up and, and have a good conversation. But I think that by having syndicates that are 50 people, 100 people, 150, 200, whatever, all from the VC ecosystem, be they startup founders, be they operators, executives, all these amazing value-adding advisors and people running accelerators and incubators and all these people, and also the staff in VC firms, by bringing all of them into a channel where they actually have something concrete to work on together, we have a real shot at making people get to know each other and, and show off their skills across borders and so on, so they can actually find each other and, and, and develop something amazing. If I may just interrupt you there, Andreas, just because an important kind of piece of information for whoever's still listening in <laughs> is that Tom and Affinity did not pay UVC, Andreas or David, and David and Andreas and UVC did not pay Tom and Affinity for this episode. So this is a purely like open conversation, but this is actually an important point of why we love Affinity and why Affinity, I believe, loves us. is because Affinity is very much focused on the relationship component and leveraging that for business. And that's how we perceive a lot of what we're doing on the community side, right? So that's why we say, you know, we're going to see a lot of interesting stuff between us because there is that alignment, right? And okay, Affinity is a great software being used by many. That is obviously important. But as important, if not more, is that alignment on way and vision how business should be done. Tom, feel free to, to comment on that because it's actually, it's 100% authentic, actually. No, it's true. We're all friends anyway, so we would do this for free regard. But no, seriously, being product agnostic or tech agnostic, like there's only a few couple, a handful still remaining of, of relationship-driven industries. So much has been disintermediated yeah. or, and the relationship part is gone. It's all now completely so far removed from all of these industries. Very few remaining. And VC is a relationship game, right? Deals are done on the back of relationships and especially in smaller communities, especially in within the countries within Europe. It's even more so. It's even more siloed. And the most incredible, most powerful thing that you guys are doing and everyone else in the community is building those networks and broadening those networks and broadening those relationships. So the tools to do that are amazing. And people like yourselves doing what you guys are doing. But even things like the Next Gen VC, you know, stuff like that you guys are doing and broadening out the horizons there. I think democratizing the knowledge, democratizing access when, you know, we went through a COVID period where we couldn't see each other, right? That was annoying. There's two years of people who've come into VC who maybe have never gone to meet people in London or have never traveled to all of these industry events. And they're on the back foot in regards to building their network. And that is a, an inhibiting factor. So anything all of us as a community can do to support the future next generation of people coming into the industry is incredibly important. And maybe just because you asked before what we do and how we help the community and, and the VC industry in general in Europe, I think there's something else that we're doing which is interesting. And it's, it's very much building our own story in that, that we're actually also doing podcasts with VCs and, and enabling them to do, David touched on it before, enabling them to do a podcast on their own vertical. You know, my whole point is, when we started, we were nobodies. Uh, no one knew us. I had never been to London to talk to VC guys all day long. <laughs> I had never been invited to be a speaker down in Bucharest just because I thought that I wanted to be in VC in Denmark and do some stuff there. So what can be built on the back of a podcast is quite amazing. And since our investors or our audience here are all 
investors. I think it's fair to say that there's also a very nice hack in it because with the podcast, you can reach out to anyone, right? <laughs> you can say, hey, Tom, you're probably the guy who's running everything there at Affinity. I would like to meet you. And normally, you probably wouldn't just take a meeting with anyone, right? <laughs> but if you have a podcast, you know, it's quite easy to get someone talking. I know a guy who's raising a fund down in Africa, and what he heard from all his LPs was in Europe said, well, if you want to do an African-focused fund and want my money, I need to see some big African LPs in your fund. And then I'm in. And he had quite a lot of money, you know, ready to go in Europe if he would get those African LPs. And then what he realized was, well, all I need to do is just have a podcast. Have we had this conversation, right? Because now I'll just be able to reach out to all these big ass LPs in, in Africa who are quite difficult to get a handle of, right? And then invite them on his podcast. And that's working pretty well. <laughs> but this is something that, you know, once you get a certain number of subscribers and once you get a certain number of success and get to your hundredth episode, you know, there's a responsibility on on continuing quality of content, continuing down the same idea of, of democratizing access for small and emerging managers. And to be honest, if anyone goes back and looks through the library of the hundred episodes you guys have done from beginning now you guys are committed to speaking to every single European VC, regardless of strategy or size or pedigree or first fund or tense vintage. It doesn't matter. I think that's something that is unique about what you guys have been doing. And actually, not just saying you're going to do it, but do it. How many podcasts are out there that are talking to $50 million Polish funds? It's, it doesn't happen, yeah. right? Yeah. But you guys are in there as they're raising their first fund. And I think that's an incredible resource. And I think that's something that, you know, we're very lucky to have. I'm happy you say so. It's cool you say so, Tom. And actually, I'm, and I'm watching again the script because that's what I'm good at. But I'm watching it because this will be a topic I know. But anyway, some of the episodes that I feel more excited about doing so that we haven't done yet, actually, yeah. are funds that GPs that we know for some time, they've been fundraising, they're about to reach first close. And I'm there because we have this rule now. We, we had to create some kind of rules because there's too many people out there that are super cool to talk to. So we have to create some rules to help us manage it. Mm. So we have this rule that now it's post first close. We take you post first close in the pot. And I'm just rooting for them like, fuck it, come on. You can do it <laughs> almost there. I want to bring you in the pot. And those episodes are so much fun because it's like we've known them for a year and a half. We've seen them. We've tried to help. We've tried to help with intros. Try to help in any way we kind of can think of. And then when they manage to get that first close, that means there it's just one milestone among many. But it's super exciting to be able to bring them on the pod and kind of celebrate that with them. And hopefully we also help them with the visibility that we give them. So that's definitely something that I'm very proud of at a personal level, actually. I love it. Look, guys, for the sake of time, and you know, obviously the Spotify metrics and everything else we want to keep <laughs> keep this powerful. Maybe we can do a second episode in the future when you get to your 200th episode. Sounds good. But let's finish the show like you guys always do with a quick fire round. Okay, guys, so we're going to rattle through this stuff real quick. So in European VC, what areas excite you guys the most that other people don't really seem to care about or are as excited as you guys are about it? I'll be very short about it to respect the quick fire uh, <laughs> concept. <laughs> Two things, emerging GPs, I'm super bullish on them. I love them, especially when they're doing something different and unique that no one else is doing. And secondly, something we've spoken about, the democratization of the asset class, not only in terms of what we're doing, but as Andreas said, we love everyone who's trying to contribute towards that. And a small caveat to that, 
that is why I'm so bullish on fund to fund strategies. And I love it so much because I think it plays such an important role when you want to open up the asset class. Great. Great, Andreas. Yeah, on my side, I'd say that I want more angel investors to be investing into VC funds. There's so much to be gained from both sides. Network, best practice, and diversification. It's really a match made in heaven. So you'd think that that would be just the thing for angels. But we haven't seen it just yet. But I think that now that the minimum ticket isn't 250000 every angel can really play. So I think that we will see more of this opening up. Love it. Right. What are your top tips for emerging VCs who are fundraising? This is an unfair one because we're just ripping off the... <laughs> we did 100 episodes, so that means we asked this and most people give three. So I have 300 that I can <laughs> tap into. Three so the, the, yeah, the three I picked <laughs> were run fundraisers as a sales process. I think, you know, there's very few people talking about that, but really running it as an aggressive sales process and getting that sales skills into the team if need be. Whether that's a partner level or not doesn't really matter, but just running it like that. Secondly, running a highly differentiated strategy. I think Andreas would share this feeling with me. It's sometimes even tiring hearing about the next enterprise tech fund being raised in the UK, as so many already are, right? And we love that space. There's funds that we're actually trying to invest in in that space in London, but you know, you need to be different. You need to be unique. And then my final tip would be focus all your time on a cornerstone LP. I haven't seen many fundraisers succeed when that's not the case. All I can add is uh, get in touch with us. Uh, <laughs> we'll help you however way we can. <laughs> and listen to the pod. <laughs> You'll go over those, those 300 tips that you've already got. Yeah, so exactly. All right. <laughs> All right, cool. So what can we expect in future from European VC? Yeah, so we're solving for the European GP. Honestly, what I'll say is you'll see us develop anything that is one that we feel is most needed in the European VC space, VC industry. And second, that we feel uniquely capable of solving better than anyone else. We will not launch me to solutions. We will not do something that anyone else is doing. Our view is partnering. Our view is helping others build what they're building and focusing on what we do best. And that is GPs and that is Europe and that is community. My addition to that would be doubling down on what we do best. More podcasts, not only the European VC episodes, but entirely new ones that we do with other hosts that are running uh, amazing funds in Europe. More events with awesome partners like you, Tom, that really gives something to the EVC community. And I love our criteria that you'll get at least one thing that you wouldn't get anywhere else. And sometimes <laughs> we will bring on a SaaS fund just so that's not the special thing. And then what we'll do is something crazy behind the scenes. <laughs> and then, of course, more syndicates into amazing VC funds. We're going to do more than that. We've got a great deep tech one that I'm super excited about. I started in deep tech and I, I want to do more in, in the ones that love hard work. Great, guys. So last couple of questions. Who will be your dream guest on the EU VC podcast? Yeah, so... I've said it before, no, I haven't said it before, but I mentioned him before in this show. And I think, and it, it might be a weird choice. It might, it's actually a super weird choice, but I would say it's Harry Steppings because I feel I owe that guy. I owe that guy for having been the voice in my ear for all those years in the beginning when I got started. Uh, so I'd love to pay them back. I'm not sure he would think of it as being paid back, but I would love to bring Harry <laughs> I would love to see the script discussion ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Great. We'll send an invite out tomorrow. Maybe he's listening right now. Maybe he can like give you guys a call. David, who's your pick? 
Ah, uh, that's such a hard question, Tom. I, I I don't really have as much of a good answer as Andreas does. I'll just refer to what I said before. Like my favorite guests are these that we've been working with for like a year, year and a half, trying to help them, and they manage to get first close, first time fun. I love those. You know, they're not necessarily the ones that are more famous in terms of audience, but I love those episodes. Love it. Okay, real quick, favorite episode, one or two. I would say, and there's a bit of a story there. William McQuillan from Frontline. That was the first episode that we did where when I listened to it, I thought, hmm, this is really good. <laughs> so I think that's more quality of host as well, not just uh, just the guest. I think we had gotten a bit better by then. Then I would add Joe Shorch. Joe has become a mentor to David and I. He means the world to us. So that episode, I remember doing it in my uh, garage that I was changing to become the office that I'm now in. And I was sitting there in a ski jacket in the middle of February or something like that. So so that was quite interesting with carpet all, all around me. So that was fun. And then in general, our LP roundtables. I think that's something that you don't have access to normally unless you pay a big ass fee to go to a super venture or something like that. So I love that we're bringing that out to everyone. I'll, I'll add to that really quick. I think I, we've done recently a special series on navigating the current market. I think that's super cool because super short episodes, you know, we have a bunch of different guests there. So it's not one episode, but it's the concept of saying, okay, this is happening in the market. What are you doing inside your firm that other people can learn from? And the fact that it's like really well-established GPs is super cool. And then the other one I'd highlight is Mark, Mark Lorman. Not a very a big name that most people know about, not based in London or, or one of those that we're used to hearing about. Mark was our first episode ever. So he was one of the few crazy dudes that said, yeah, I'll be in episode number one of, an epi- of a podcast that doesn't exist. He was also a personal mentor to me, so that's amazing. And we have 100 episodes roughly out, and he's the number one in terms of publishing date, but he's the 12th most listened episode. That's, so that's kind of cool. So I love that one. So, okay, that leads me to my very last quick final question. Who was number one? What was the number one listened to episode of all of the hundred you guys have done? So number one, and I'll let Andreas comment because it's kind of interesting. I'm putting him on the hotspot here. Number one episode is actually a Portuguese GP. <laughs> <you and me. laughs> Hang on a second. We need to get adjudicators in here. This is right. <laughs> Uh, so it's a Portuguese GP, but it's also a female GP. So that's super cool as well. Doing uh, biotech. So that's very, very cool as well in terms of differentiation of strategies. And it's Daniela Kut, episode number five from Biogeneration Ventures. Super cool episode, Leonard Anir. That's amazing. Look, I'd recommend anyone who's listening now who joined the podcast late, you know, past episode 50, go back, listen to the old stuff. Some amazing stuff. You want to learn more about VCs from underrepresented markets. It's it's an incredible resource. Guys, look, I think we're going to end it there. I want to say thank you to my guests today. Thank you guys for the work you guys are doing. Thank you uh, for giving the risk over to me today and <laughs> taking a chance. I've really enjoyed talking to you guys and hearing about your story. Thank you so much, guys. Let us know if you would ever want to join the dark side and uh, run the European <laughs> podcast. You do an amazing job. <laughs> Thanks a million, Tom. Thanks a million for taking on this. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.